Hey, welcome back to this week's episode of Sage May Speaks. I am Sage May. This week's guest not only has a massive resume, but he also does audition coaching and taping. You'd recognize him from shows such as Dynasty, Sneaky Pete, Pretty Little Liars, 911, and so many more. He has an awesome resume. He's also interned at a casting office, so he knows what it takes to have a good audition. Please welcome Matthew Swern. Thank you so much for being here, Matt. It's so funny. I Thanks saw you last week. Thanks for having week. me. <laughs> yeah, course. was that last week? Yeah, I it think seems it was. Like two weeks ago now. Two weeks? What well, time? Time was. flies in this pandemic. <laughs> it was last week because you emailed me and you were like, "Hey, next week, I'm. Can we record a podcast?" Yeah. I guess it was last week. <laughs> I guess it was. <laughs> You're a great reader, by the way. Oh, thank you. I try. I try. Yeah, me and Matt met on We Audition. He requested me as a reader and I recognized his face. We were just talking about this, but I recognized his face from a bunch of uh, little parts in different shows, but not little parts, not little parts, (laughs) co-stars, co-stars. I put that in your head. I call them little parts. We'll go with co-stars. That's more flattering. <laughs> yeah, and I remember all your Quentin Tarantino posters that I now see the rest of, which They're, are very right. exciting. Yeah. Right, right, right. Because when you when the camera was facing that way, yeah. right, you saw some of them. Yeah, and now I saw I saw Inglorious Bastards over there, if I remember very, correctly. Yeah, yes, yeah. There's Inglorious Bastards, Jackie Brown, and Reservoir Dogs are on that side. And then over here are are what you see. Yeah, I love it. And what it. you don't see, there's I also have Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill Two, and I still have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood rolled up, not even out, really? not even in a. Oh yeah, it's just been I'm putting I've been putting that off. I don't know why. <laughs> so <laughs> how have you been during COVID as an actor? What's that all been like for you? It was very rough for me in the well, it you know it went in waves like. First, it was first. It was fine because I thought, all right, you know, like this will be temporary. I was one of the early people that very early on knew that it was going to be longer than two weeks. You know, there was a lot of talk about oh, two weeks, two weeks. I kind of knew it was going to be at least a month. And then before everyone else did, I kind of had a feeling it was going to be several months. And then by by summer having spoken to some industry professionals, you know, when I was in, this was back in June, July, I'm like, okay, I'm probably not going to work again until spring 2021. And I still feel for the most part, Um, you know, the beginning of the year, it was going really well for me. I was, you know, you mentioned dynasty before I was in Atlanta shooting a really exciting role. It was a lot of fun. And COVID was, we had just started hearing about COVID. This was the end of February and the set medic, um, started giving us uh, talking about COVID during the safety meetings at the beginning of, of the shoot. And that, you know, I was on the set five days and by the fourth or fifth day, we weren't shaking hands. We were fist bumping. Wow. And, and we were being told, you know, if you uh, feel sick, if you have a cough, please come see a medic immediately. Uh, we're going to increase hand washing stations and stuff like this is back in February. And then uh, uh, I flew back in early March and I was kind of excited. I didn't think COVID was going to shut down the U.S. You know, the way it did, it was still early. I thought I was coming back with like a really nice role. You know, prior to that, I was pinned for SWAT and all these great things. And there was a a manager that I had a meeting with when I came back and, and she signed me. And then so she signed me on a on a Thursday. And then that weekend, Hollywood shut down. 
Oh, and, of course, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's just how it goes. And I also own, I own another business. I own a dog walking business that I started like five years ago as an actor side hustle. That's awesome. And I've just kind of kept it going. I, I have walkers that mostly walk the dogs now and I still manage it, but it's like a good, it's a good business. You know, yeah. when you're an actor, um, you know, to anything to avoid being in a, a restaurant or driving an Uber or Lyft, it was like great for me. And totally. I love dogs. I don't know if you can yeah, see, I see him in, in the, the back. Yeah, who's that? What's his name? That's Neo. Neo? Like, yeah, he's just like the artist? Like the, like the Matrix. That's funny, oh. though. <laughs> <laughs> and I just can't yes. take myself away. Yes. That's so funny. <laughs> that was I like always my head's at. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> What's it's great about that is because it's kind of like auto-tuned, I can sound auto-tuned and not have to worry about my bed singing. <laughs> Where was I? How did we get yeah. uh, the dog to, walking to and, and dog. side hustles and stuff? I'd love to hear about that because that's, so, that's an interesting topic. Well, thank you. I, you know, I think every actor and even even the working actors, you know, like most most of us, unless you're, you know, a, a series regular, unless you're doing guest stars every single week, unless you're doing films all the time, most most actors have to have a side hustle, either, even the ones that you like think are successful. You know, most of them are not making a living solely as an actor. If you look at the numbers, um, you know, that SAG puts out about who uh, makes uh, makes enough to make health insurance and, and stuff. So uh, I do have a side hustle. I, I mean, at least I did. And then COVID in one weekend, Hollywood shut down and then everyone worked from home. So of course, no one needs dog walkers anymore. Getting unemployment was like a whole, uh, was like a whole thing too. That mm -hmm. took like nine weeks to, to process until I finally got that. So it was rough for a while. You know, I had enough money at first that I felt like things would be fine. And I was working on new skills and taking classes and I was, you know, doing all this stuff. And then that kind of got old. And then I was in a really, really, really dark place over starting in the summer. Uh, oh. I was in a really just dark, I, my, I was getting my unemployment checks, but just, I guess, dre existential dread, you yeah. know, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then by September, things really turned around for me. Uh, I mean, well, I don't, I don't mind telling you, I started taking antidepressants and, uh, yeah, no and they, I don't mind if anyone yeah. listens to this and the, it, you know, they're inspired to go talk to someone and get on medication. I listen, there's medication is not for everyone. There's a lot of side effects, but I was in a really bad spot and, uh, you know, it took about two weeks to get used to, but after that, by mid September, I was great and I was That's ready amazing. to, you know, to start doing things again. By late August, I um, started coaching actors on We Audition. I had, I had been coaching actors for a while, you know, over the years uh, in voiceover and on camera. And then I opened an account on We Audition in August and I started coaching them virtually. And then by mid-September, when I was in a better mood, I started getting all these ideas about uh, how to expand on that. And I built a self-tape studio out of my apartment and now i have a successful you know dog walking has come back a little bit but my my main side hustle now is a self-taping virtual coaching voiceover recording business and i love it and it brings me so much joy and so to answer your question how has covid been it's been a roller coaster <laughs> but out of a horrible situation came something beautiful <laughs> that's amazing yeah i i 
I've noticed that you had a self-taping studio because when I was trying to get in touch with you, I was like, should I look at him on Instagram or Facebook or what do I do? And then I just saw that they give you your email on We Audition. So I did all that for no reason. But <laughs> so I want to hear about your self-taping studio. What's that like? Well, I painted my entire apartment back in September. Yeah. Uh, I call it self-tape gray. Yeah. Um, because of COVID, there's precautions that I, I had to take. So I take all actors' temperatures when they come in. Uh, wow. with a with a digital forehead reader. I wear a KN95 mask the entire time. I don't take it off. And the actors are masked but until I get behind the camera where to safe distance away, they take their mask off and we and we roll. Um, and most actors, you know, they they come for self-taping, but they kind of want some either some coaching or some input on their scenes. And I just I just go until actors like that you know, I want to make sure that they're happy with the take that we're sending out. And I'm just kind of self-taught with, you know, years ago I was I was spending so much money on taking my my materials to places to have them edit my reels. And I was like, why am I paying someone to do this? Like I have a Mac, I have yeah. iMovie, like right? Like how hard could it be? And then I just started, you know, I, I had already knew editing because of voiceover. I'd you know been working in voiceover for a while and, and just all of the skills now are paying off how to how to shoot i mean i just learned that myself how to light i just you know self-taught you talk to people you, you research online and enough that i was able to you know put out some some nice tapes for people <laughs> as i'm sitting here someone just texted me about a, a taping session later. yay I that's get great to them later <laughs> <laughs> yay yeah, ever since I started, I, like, have been using iMovie, and I thought everyone used iMovie, <laughs> and I don't know, maybe I'm just the generation where it's like, of course I would do that myself, but, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, I'm shocked when people go to services to, like, make a reel, unless they, unless they need, like, footage, but it's crazy. You know, the editing is easy. The problem that I think it would, that most people have is they don't know how to, how to cut their materials properly. Like yeah. you look at a lot of demo reels and it's a lot of montages and mm. music and, you know, or they're in a, they're in a scene from a television show, but the, the whole scene in it is in there and it's not cut down to really feature them. Yeah. And, you know, I just kind of learned over the years how to really make reels how to make scenes feature you. You know, the scene in, in Dynasty, you know, um, Grant Show is really the star. Alan, Alan Shields is the star of those scenes. But the way I cut the scene, you would think that I was the star of it. Yeah, that's what you got to do. That's yeah. what you got to do. You know, I don't I don't care how beautiful you are, Grant. I'm going to cut you out of my <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I helped you with that self-tape the other day. Are you working on anything exciting right now? Sadly, no. No, that's all right. <laughs> Neither am I. So you Except know, this. I yeah, you're you're doing this. You're creating, yeah. and that's super important. You know, I I'm not, and it's it's been a little discouraging because there have been more auditions lately than there have been, and I have not been able to book one. And it's not I you know like sometimes you're just not right. It's stuff that I've been pretty right for, but um, you know, you just got to keep chugging along. You got to do the best, you know, you just got to put out the best work you can all the time, especially now, because I feel like casting directors, I've heard rumors that they're giving out more appointment slots. They so are, it used yeah. to be if you got an emo uh, an audition, you were maybe one in 20, one in 25. They got the audition. Now it, you know, you could be one in 50, one in 75. 
because they're, they're going through a bunch of tapes is easier than setting up appointments for them to come into an office. Then one actor goes out, another comes in, then they can redirect you a couple of times. That could take all day. Now they could just speed through. So they give more appointments out. So getting more auditions, you know, it's great, but you're, you're in a bigger pool now. Totally. Like I've had some pretty big auditions too and I haven't booked yet. Um, but it's definitely, it's more competitive right now because anyone can really tape. It's, it's not like it's one day anymore that everyone has to come in. It's like, give me a week and tape your thing. And then it could be someone who's not even like ignores the COVID stuff and just comes in, you know? which sucks, but 100%. <laughs> yeah, at least 100%. we're being seen. I mean, that's great during this time, especially, you know, it's, it's, it's an, any opportunity to showcase your work is, you know, like actors got to take those, those moments and just enjoy them. You know, it, it, why do we do what we do to perform, to perform in front of people? This is the best we can do right now. And so we just gotta, we gotta take it and run with it. Yeah, for sure. Well, we, we got it. We got it. We got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you do so much accent work in Dynasty and Sneaky Pete and some others that I've seen. Um, <laughs> what's that like? Because after I read with you, I was like, he doesn't have an accent, right? Because you were so convincing that I thought you did, maybe. <laughs> so what's You're that very like? Sweet. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, what we read for... Oh, yeah, no, what we read for, I was just speaking in my normal yeah, voice. Yeah, but after watching all those things, I was like, but was that his normal voice? I don't know. That's <laughs> really funny. Or was or was that, was the American an accent yeah, too? Yeah, I'm, so, I'm like, even even on Zoom just now, when you were logging in, I was like, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to be. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, when I started out in the business, that was not, I was not like the chameleon accent dialect guy. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of became that as I kind of learned how people saw me in the industry and you hear enough, Oh, you know, like, where are you from? You look like you could be this. You look like you could be that. I'm, I'm a, I'm an Ashkenazi Jew, but so I, I, I look hey, mazel tov. Oh my gosh. I'm a company. New York Ashkenazi Jew too. Me too. That's crazy. Island. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, but because people have said, Oh, you know, you look Moroccan or Israeli or, uh, Spanish, you know, I, I started taking it upon myself, starting with Middle Eastern dialects to, to learn a bunch of them. Um, and then others just as, just for fun, you know, like, like Irish and Scottish, I would never get hired to play those. I try to practice those for fun because they're just very, very, very difficult for me. <laughs> I, I just, you know, some people are, are great with them. I'm, I'm not one of those people that could do a thousand accents, but there's a, a couple that I've just learned how to do fairly well. And it's, it's helped um you know because those seems to be the the roles that people like to like to give me <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's great you get what you get you know <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll i'll take it how did you learn those accents the very first time i ever started like studying accents i got some cd on accents you know like back in the day when they sold those like cds for different <laughs> accents stone, yeah. it was something like that some guy that did a bunch of different monologues in different accents and i kind of listened to that uh you know these days so like if i get an audition for some sort of accented role even if i feel good about the accent i still will hit up someone that i know and talk to them interview them 
Uh, I will have them read my lines so I could hear them and, and how they sound. Um, you know, especially because the way you think an accent is, is not usually how it is. Like I think of like, like cartoons, like Pepe Le Pew and like <laughs> Speedy Gonzalez. Yeah. It's like the most generic. It's like if someone held a gun up to your head and say like, do a Mexican accent, that's what Speedy Gonzalez is, right? It's just like a very stereotypical, not even real Mexican accent. Or Pepe Le Pew is a very, you know, stereotypical French accent. So whenever acts, whenever actors that don't really know the dialects, whenever they try to do one, they sound like this over-the-top cartoony version of it, which is why I like to interview real people because I find that um, they're not as over-the-top as we think they are. Even, even you know, whenever anyone does Russian, every, everyone always does Russian like this, like, you know, <laughs> they make big villain. Yeah. And Russians don't really sound like that if, you, you know, you speak to enough of them. So... Uh, I just try to listen to people and copy what they do. I also try to uh, the you've got to make the accent authentic enough, but so it's still intelligible. So casting directors and you know agents could still understand what you're saying. If the accent is so thick and they can't understand that, that that's not going to work either. That's awesome. Yeah, you're yeah. you're like you've done so many of them. Like it's it's insane. Well, thank you. Of course. I um, you know, it takes me a while to get into some of them sometimes. But once I do, I'm not one of those, you know, like there were rumors that like Hugh Laurie never broke from his American accent yeah. on the house because it was just so hard for him to do. <laughs> I'm not one. I'm lucky. I can like come in and out of it. So yeah, when they yell stop, I can I can just go into my normal into Matt and then I can just become the character again. That's but, awesome. Um, some of them are more difficult than others. So you touched on this a little bit, like types and stuff. I see you play a lot of EMTs and cops and stuff like that. How did you find your type? So I was an EMT in New York. Oh, I see. I, I had a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I was an EMT in New York, and my very first roles were EMT roles. On all my children, when they found that I was an EMT and I was, you know, like a a young, good-looking soap type, they started calling me in for that stuff because they, they don't have time to train someone how to use a stretcher and uh, how to um, you know hang IV bags and how to set up a heart monitor and stuff. They need people who know what, what they're doing because sometimes we act as medical consultants as well. And so that's how I was able to get my first uh, uh, credits on all my children. I was, all my children on Guiding Light, on As the World Turns, I was an EMT on all those shows. One Life to Live, I was I was a drug dealer, <laughs> and then eventually on Guiding Light, I was like a uh, like a waiter who stole a bunch of stuff, you know, so, so, yeah, something like that. I had like a garbage bag full of like silverware or something, but uh, yeah, my early roles were EMTs, and so I had a lot of EMT type things on my on my reel, and in working on a lot of soaps as an EMT, it kind of taught me how to act as a medic for the camera. So when I got those auditions later on, I, I felt confident in them because I understood the energy and the urgency that you had to bring to those types of roles. And I, it's something that just kind of, I fell into. It was just, it was, it was easy. It was natural for me. The challenge was getting out of that because I didn't want to be, you know, I remember my father was like, Hey, you know, what if you typecast? First off, I think being typecast is great because it means that you're going to work all the time. But I, there's a certain level, I guess, that you want to be typecast or not want to be typecast. And I just didn't want to do EMTs for the rest of my life. And um, 
that that came you know with with that it had to you had to figure out okay well then if i'm not the emt who who am i and you know then you had to figure that out with with branding and uh international creepsters that's like that's that's like my thing <laughs> it really is though <laughs> it's, yeah you know i mean so you gotta funny. you gotta you gotta know who you are you know everyone wants to be the handsome lead you know the or the beautiful lead but if you're not that then you're just you're fighting a losing battle you know i i have very strong very sharp features um you know, as, and as I've gotten older, I'm getting, you know, more charactery. I, you know, lines around the eyes, wrinkles. I grow facial hair very quickly. So I have five o'clock shadow, which, you know, adds to, to being a creep. And I just naturally, I have resting asshole face. <laughs> so do I actually, <laughs> I get that all the time. Oh my do gosh. You? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> when you walk into a room, that's who they see. They're like, oh, okay, great. Yeah. That's who I'm looking for. And then when you, when you slate, when they meet you, then of course you, you know, you just become yourself and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. So he looks like an asshole, but he's a really nice guy. Yeah. It's great. And that just kind of became my, my thing. Totally. <laughs> I, yeah. I think that's why I smile all the time. <laughs> Cause if I stop, it'll look like this. <laughs> you overcompensate, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I do that too. I do that too. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> my uh, mentor who is episode one of this podcast, she's, she's a nurse and she's been a uh -huh. nurse for a while. Yeah. Most of her first roles were nurses. So I think that's how it goes when you're in the medical field and then you switch. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, I, I won't, I will, I try to say no now when they come up. Although, you know, if there's a chance that it could be like, I did 911 two years ago, I was playing a fireman, but not a fireman wearing um you know the bunker gear and going i, I was a uh, worked for the fire department but who worked in the 911 call center as the liaison between the fire department and the 911 call center and um you know it wasn't a very big role but i thought and my agent you know thought hey you know it, it's 911 that that could be recurring so so why not um I auditioned for Grey's Anatomy a couple of weeks ago for a paramedic because you know the same office does station 19 and if you can recur on those shows as a paramedic, you know, yeah, it's, you're just going to be a paramedic, but you can make some really good money. Yeah, they make whole shows about those paramedics. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, you know, I will still do them sometimes. Awesome. So from being an EMT to being an actor, I want to hear your whole story. What started this whole acting thing you got? I, I started acting in high school. I was in uh, the high school play. Um, I, you know, I always loved movies. I always wanted to be an actor. I just had terrible stage fright and I didn't have the confidence to do it. And my senior year of high school, I guess I felt more comfortable in my position at school being as, you know, one of the older people being a senior as opposed to being, you know, any of the other classes. And um, I also, a lot of my friends were in theater. It was called Theater South. And so for whatever reason, I had the courage to, to audition for The Crucible and the, the acting teacher there was very complimentary and he suggested, you know, he knew that I wasn't a great student and I, some would even call the troubled teen, but he knew that, that, that acting was something that seemed good. And he didn't know if I was wanted to go on and be an actor. He was just like, you know, whatever you do in college, acting is, it seems like it's good for you. You should take an acting class there. And then I, I did. And in college teacher there said something similar. He goes, you know, I, clearly, you know, you, you take to this, you know, you should consider doing more with it. So then I dropped out of college <laughs> and started taking <laughs> acting classes in the city. <laughs> and, and because I started working fairly early because of the EMT thing, 
Um, I just, I never looked back. <laughs> okay, but that's a fair question, right? All right, you were an EMT, but how did, how did you even start getting roles? What happened was I submitted a bunch of headshots to casting directors all over town. A lot of them uh, were soap operas. And a bunch of them were calling me in to do extra work. You know, I didn't know anything about the film industry. And I was like, well, if I can learn something as an extra just from being on set, Great. And I did a, you know, a day or two of extra work on all my children. And then a casting director there named Bob Lambert gave me my first speaking role. Yay. When he found that I was an EMT, um, that's when I started getting called in for that. And I don't know, I, I feel like in New York, maybe all casting offices for soap started speaking because then all of them started bringing me in. Um, but that's why I, I had to leave New York, because all I was able to get in New York were soaps. I wasn't really booking pranos and I wasn't really working on uh, any of the law and orders. You know, I was a little too young and too pretty for that show. <laughs> and that's why it felt like L.A. was a I was better suited for while I was still young. I was 26. <laughs> and that's where you are now, right? In L.A. And that's where I am now. I've been here 13 years. <laughs> what are you getting now that you weren't getting in New York? Well, the tele TV has changed a lot. You know, I think if I moved back to New York now, I could probably have a better career than I did then because after I left within a couple of years, so television blew up over there. Um, and there's, and there's a ton of it. Now I think there's still more television. I think LA is still the TV capital. You know, there's a lot that's filming in Atlanta and there's plenty, you know, there's New York, there's Chicago, uh, there's other markets too. There's, you know, Texas, uh, Arizona, Utah, Arizona, Santa Fe, um, but the capital is still LA. And even though I've been tempted over the years to move back to New York, to move to Atlanta, New Orleans, you know, I've always stayed here because I think the majority of the work is here. And I think being uh, either a New York or LA actor, it gives you a certain level of respect that unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of, a ton of great actors that I know in Atlanta, but the industry, you know, they haven't fully respected uh, you know, a, an Atlanta act, uh, you know, a, a Santa Fe actor, um, a Dallas actor, which is why you hear of them flying actors in from New York and L.A. all the time. Totally understand. It's that. happening less and less because there's more of those New York and L.A. actors are moving to, to those yeah. small markets. But still, there's a lot of pride I take in being an L.A. actor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I agree with you. Yeah. No one's ever yeah. said that. But I do. I do see what you mean. I know a lot of people don't say it. But it's been told to me enough time. You know, I asked someone once, who a writer who I knew on a show in Atlanta. It was a show he was he was working. Well, I won't say the show, but I asked him straight up. I said, "How often do you fly in actors from New York or L.A.?" And this is what he told me. And I'm not saying every single show is like this. Is just what he told me. He goes, "If it's more than one line, more than one scene, we're bringing an actor from New York or L.A." Oh my gosh! I was like, "Wow!" He's like, "Yeah." I mean, you know, like a. A, a one-line co-star in one scene. Yeah, fine. We'll just, we'll take someone local. Now, I know actors in those smaller markets that work on much bigger roles than those. But, you know, there are, just based on what my friend said, there are some people that any role with any sort of meat in it, they're going to they're gonna bring from, from New York or L.A. So interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what was your first audition for a network TV show like, either in New York or L.A.? One of my very first auditions for a speaking role in New York, what was for all my children, it wasn't for an EMT, it was for like some thug. And it was hard. It was horrible, because <laughs> I just I wasn't conversational. I wasn't playing it like a real person. I was playing it like what I thought uh, a thug was like. 
Um, I wasn't, I didn't even memorize my lines. So I had to follow along with my sides and it was just horrible, you know, and it's because I didn't, I was taking acting classes, but I hadn't taken any audition classes and acting and auditioning are two very, very, very different things. There's an art form to auditioning. And I really didn't learn how to audition properly until maybe 2015, 2014. And that, and that, you know, and I started in 2001. So it took me that long. You know, I, I started working much, you know, before then, but I don't think I really became a good auditioner until 2015. There's just a lot that I didn't know. And it was horrible. And I, and I just, I lost a lot of jobs because I didn't know how to audition properly. Um, I didn't really know the rules. By the time I got to LA, uh, I interned at a casting office for a while. I learned a lot over there. I really learned a lot. Uh, I interned for a woman named Nan Dutton, who is a television casting legend. Um, and she was working on the show CSI Miami. She was one of the, you know, she, she casted, she cast that show. And I learned a lot. You know, if, if you have a chance to, to intern at a casting office uh, and be a, it will be a reader anywhere, you will learn so much. Um, and it really demystified the, the casting process. And that really, it, that really helped a lot. And then, um, you know, just certain teacher that I worked with that was just really good at, uh, at on-camera audi audition technique. You know, there's a lot of actors, they go to theater school and they're, they're brilliant actors. You know, they graduate from Yale or from NYU or Juilliard and they're brilliant, but that doesn't always translate into, into auditioning, which is like a very weird thing. You know, there's a camera and a blank blue wall and a, and a person introducing <laughs> you. And it's just, it, it's weird. It's not, it's not on a stage. It's not, you know, so. Yeah. That, that takes a little getting used to. So what were the top <laughs> things you learned from being at a casting office? One of the big things I learned is that the, the actors that seemed to book, they would always walk in confident, unapologetic. They would, you know, acknowledge everyone, including me, their reader. And then they would take me in. And every time I felt like when I was reading with an actor, like we were in a scene, like they were listening to me that actor always seemed to be the one who'd book the role as opposed to actors that were just waiting for their cues and not really responding. You could feel when they're doing that. Um, actors that uh, after their take, they would, that would say, um, was that good? Uh, do you want to try something else? They would never book the job. They just, they didn't have the confidence and you know, it, and it, and it read. Knowing that casting directors, when you walk into a room, they want nothing more than for you to book that job. It is so important to them that whatever actor walks into that room books that job because if that actor books the job, their job is done and they can go on to casting the next role or casting the next project. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of actors are very intimidated by casting directors and, you know, they might feel that the casting director could be, you know, being cold or whatever. I promise you that casting director wants nothing more than for you to book that job. They did not call you in so they can just be rude to you and, um, you know, and, and, and not acknowledge you and, and kick you out. You know, they, they called you in because they thought that you are right for this role. Yeah. And, you know, even if you get an audition for something that you're not right for, if it's like an older headshot or whatever, you know, you got somehow called in for something that you're not right for. If you still do your best work, if you leave some sort of impression with them, then you, hopefully they'll thank you for something else but all they want is for you to book the job and to just to nail it. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a good lesson to learn. Uh, that was back in 2010, you know, that, that helped a lot. 
there are so many reasons why actors don't book roles and it has nothing to do with how you are as an actor. I mean, it could, I mean, listen, if you didn't do the work, you didn't do the work, but let's say you did the work and good a job as one can do with the role. There are so many factors that go into it. Uh, your age, your gender, your ethnicity, you know, they have to ensure they have a well, uh, you know, a, a diverse cast, you know, you can audition and they're like, ah, oh, you know, yeah, we, we have too many of that uh, ethnicity, too many of that gender. We need, we, we need someone from this, pool. I saw that happen a lot. They might say, oh, we only take the best actor. You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. But I don't know. I, I saw they need to ensure a, a diverse cast. So that can go into it. Hair color. David Caruso, you know, like they, they wouldn't call in men with, uh, with red hair because, you know, they couldn't be in a scene with David Caruso because he was, <laughs> you know, the, the red-headed lead yeah. male. Little things like that, you know, like your hair color might not book you a job. You never know. How did you get an internship at a casting office? I harassed Nan Dunn because I, <laughs> I had taken a bunch of casting director workshops. And by the way, I'm not saying that so everyone goes out there and takes a bunch of casting director workshops. I, I, I don't think they're a bad thing. They're a tool like anything else. Yeah. But, you know, it's you're not going to go you know, pay and meet a casting director and then get cast in something. I, you know, so I've, I've mentioned casting director workshops. It's a tool. That's all it is. Uh, I, I had taken a, a bunch back then, which honestly I regret doing. I regret taking as many as I did. They cost a lot of money and most of them did not lead to a job, but Nan Dutton gave an amazing workshop. She was the best teacher out of every casting director that I had met. And I just loved her and I loved her enthusiasm. And I ended up making friends with someone who had interned at her office. And then I started saying, hey, you know, if she needs interns, I would <laughs> love to do it. And then I met her at another workshop. And eventually, you know, I got called in for an interview and started interning there. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah that's, yeah, that's interesting. I feel like it's rare that actors have that casting director internship, one that's like, a massive office too. I don't think it happens much anymore because I think they started cracking down on, you know, unpaid internships and mm -hmm. laws that, 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 I mean, it's stupid, you know, like no one, for me, yeah, I wasn't getting paid, but I didn't need to get paid. I, what I was learning as an actor was much more valuable than any, yeah. you know, monetary amount they would have given me. Totally. They did buy me lunch. So, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's nice of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> and yeah. they cast you, which is great. And they cast me, which was great, too. Yeah. But even after they cast me, I continued to intern there. Oh, which wow. Which they were shocked at. They would have thought I would have left. But I was I was learning. I was yeah. enjoying it, you know. And every now and then I'd throw ideas for someone, you know. They were casting someone who could, like, roller skate. And I happened to know an actress that, that um, was, like, a derby girl. They were, they were looking for a derby girl and I have a new derby girl. So I was able to like, hey, I actually know someone that, that oh, good. Well, let's bring her in, you know. That's so cool. That was, that was, that was fun. That was fun that for me. That is fun. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So since you have your self-tape studio and you're doing auditions all the time and you've booked a million. Oh, my God. You make it. You make my career sound so much better. Than well, it, it is. Been. I went to your IMDb and I'm scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. I struggle just as much as anybody else, I promise. Yeah, well, I bet, <laughs> but you've paid off. You've, you're awesome. You're pretty cool, too. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> so when you get an audition, yeah. what's the first thing you do when you get the script, and how do you break it down and stuff? Do you know the very first thing that I do? <laughs> so remember before when I told you I had an audition for like Grey's Anatomy a couple weeks ago? Yes. So you know the very first thing that I did when I got the script? Check when it's due. 
<laughs> no. No, that even before that, you know what I did? What? I made this. Can you see that? Oh, wow. Now, I know that, you know, your listeners are not, this yeah, is a video, but what, I, it, but what I basically made was a postcard with one of my headshots with the title Grey's Anatomy on it. I do that for all, I, I haven't done it much this year, which could be why I haven't, you know, booked much lately, <laughs> but um, almost every time I would get a TV audition, I wouldn't do this for movies because there's no posters out there for movies, yeah. but, uh, you know, I'd get an audition for, um, you know, for 911, for example. I would go online, I would look at, find a 911 poster, find the, the logo and put that on my headshot. And I would just kind of so look cool. at it every yeah. single day. It, and it's, it's on Instagram, ready to go. So <laughs> if I book the job, great, my promotional material is there already. <laughs> so after I make the postcard, and this is before I started learning lines, I'd, I'd quickly just make like some sort of postcard, visualization, right? Then after I do that, I'd go to my resume. You know, I have copies of my resume on my computer. And I'd add the credit to my resume. Wow. I'd add the role, add the credit, the director I didn't know. So I'd write TBD and uh, done, right? What's the worst that'll happen? I'll just, all right, I'll delete that line off my resume if it doesn't happen. So after I do the, you know, the hippy dippy visualization of <laughs> making my own postcard and then the resume stuff, then, okay. So then, right, then we, then we got to start breaking this down. So the first thing I'll do, usually I'll have uh, the sides in an email. I will email uh, my account at, at the rehearsal app. I use, I use it, the rehearsal app that uh, an actor named David H. Lawrence, the 23rd, is it the 23rd? <laughs> David H. Lawrence, I think it's the 23rd, maybe the 27th. I forgot. Oh my it, gosh. He's, he's a really cool guy. They he, made so he, many of him. <laughs> well, he, you know, he's, there's only one David H. Lawrence. Like he doesn't come from like a lineage of David H. Lawrence's, <laughs> but when he, went on IMDb to add his name, oh. there were 26 other, you know, so he was David H. Lawrence the 27th. And he was like, <laughs> that is such a, that is such a brilliant idea. I'm going to make that my name. So it's like David H. Lawrence XV11. So cool. Oh, it. sorry. So maybe it's David H. Lawrence the 17th. Anyway, he's, he's a, a really good actor and he's a very uh, tech savvy guy. And he built this, this app called the rehearsal app. So I started using it back in 2015, 2016, um, when I told you when I started working more, you know, it's, it's when I, I was using the rehearsal app, it's 20 bucks. And a lot of people, you know, they see an app, it's 20 bucks. They're turned off. I paid 20 bucks for it back in 2015 or maybe 2014. And I never paid a penny again. So it's more than paid off for me since then. I, you know, I'm not saying you have to get that app since then. There's a lot of rehearsal apps that have come out, but I send my script to the rehearsal app and then I will record the other actors lines and leave enough space for me to speak. Mm. And I just learn my lines. I make some very basic choices, but the very first thing I do is I try to get off book as mm -hmm. quick as I can. Because, you know, if you don't know your lines, you can't really make any of the choices. And, um, you know, a, a, a good take is just, you've memorized, you know, you've, you've given a take where you've said all the lines properly. So great, you've said all the lines properly, yeah. but you know, if you didn't know your lines, you couldn't really make any choices. So. I get off book as quick as I can. And then I start, you know, I start trying to figure out why this scene was written, especially if it's a co-star role. Okay, why was this scene written? The scene wasn't written because the audience wants to know about me. It's usually there to establish something about the main character. Um, so I have to, we try to figure that out and then figure out how to, how to play things based on that. 
uh, I try to see what the other characters' lines are and how uh, how I'm involved. Do I have the power in the scene? Do they have the power in the scene? A lot of the time when I play bad guys, I have the power in the scene, and I you know and I have to I have to clock that. Um, you know, to figure out the role, I try to figure out uh, the breakdown, you know, the, that'll tell you a lot where he's from. Um, if he's a very blue collar guy, I tend to read, I, you know, I always tend to read him with, uh, with a bit of a New York accent, mm-hmm. you know, that's where like blue collar lives for me. If it's, um, you know, a, a foreigner with a foreign accent, I try to, uh, you know, figure out what that voice is going to be. I try to inject as much of myself into characters as I can, because, you know, if the character, if I can find similarities between myself and the character, then there's, there's less work I have to do. If the character is not really like me, then I copy and steal from actors' performances that I've admired, that, that have worked for me, from people that I know that, that resemble that. Um, and then the last thing I try to, you know, and then, you know, obviously when I said, you know, why was this scene written when I said before, with that also comes the, the basic questions that any acting teacher will tell you. Who are you? Who are you speaking to? Where are you? Why are you having this conversation? You know, things like that. Uh, and then the last thing I do is I'm like, is I try to think how I can make it my own. Um, there are certain roles that if every decent actor read it, they'd probably all read it the same way and they'd all give, they'd all read it properly. It'd be the right performance. I try to figure out what, how I can inject my strengths into some of the lines, uh, choices I can make that are unique to me that other actors might not make, you know, that just kind of helps me stand out sometimes. Uh, now, with that being said, that doesn't mean you could just go make any crazy choice that you want, you know, come and swing from the rafters with, you know, wearing like a, a sling or, or whatever, you know, uh, <laughs> that it has to suit the character. It has to suit the breakdown. It has to suit the script. Uh, so all of my choices, you know, they kind of fall in line with what the script will will dictate. So how did you get representation? Because you're with A3 now for voiceover, I think, which is I was, the biggest. I've been with A3 so. since, since very early on in my career. Wow. So they were because Abrams then. It was a, Yeah, I was with them when they were Abrams. Cool. Um, what happened was I was, you know, I was interested in voiceover because a lot of people told me I had a really interesting voice and I should get into it. So I took voiceover classes. I was, uh, it was a commercial voiceover class. And after about a year and a half, two years working with this woman, her name was Melissa Gray, uh, we made a demo together, um, it, and it was a reasonable price demo too. Like now, you know, demos are like fifteen hundred, two thousand, twenty five hundred, three thousand. I mean, it's insane. Um, that if, that's all I could go off on that. Uh, and then I mailed out a bunch of of demos everywhere, and I got a call one day from a guy named David Coakley, and he left me a message. He goes, "Oh, hey Matthew, my name is uh, David Coakley." Uh, I'm with uh, ICM. We got your your demo, and uh, I'd like to call you in for an interview. Wow! I was 22. I didn't know who the hell ICM was, <laughs> and so my voiceover teacher at the time, or like the next day, she's like, "Hey, how's the how are the submissions going?" I'm like, "I got a call yesterday from some guy named named David uh, Coakley with um, I don't know ICM." She goes, "ICM." I was like, "Yeah, are they good?" <laughs> she was like, you know, the, the internet was not as, as big then as it is now. It's not like yeah. I could just Google ICM. Um, and she was like, uh, I mean, yeah, you talk like the top five agencies in the world. <laughs> That's who they are. I was like, oh, okay. 
And so uh, I, that's what happened. I, I went in for an interview with David. He brought me in to meet the rest of the team, and then they signed me. Now, what I had going for me was that I didn't know anybody in the business. If I did, they would have told me not to mail CDs out, that no one opened CDs. If I had known anyone in the business, they would have said, don't put a picture of yourself. You know, it, it'll typecast you for voiceover. You don't, want to, you don't want to do that. So technically, I did everything that I wasn't supposed to do. Um, I happened to send my demo out and ICM got it right when they had had a meeting and all the heads of the voiceover department said, we need to bring in more young talent. All of our young talent have either gotten older and have left. And uh, when David got back to his desk, there was uh, a submission from me, I guess. And I guess the assistants had opened up the envelopes and they leave like the demos on his thing. And my picture was there. It was a postcard. And he was like, well, this is a young, nice looking guy. Let's see what he sounds like. <laughs> and he popped it in. He's like, oh, all right. looks like that. He's young and he's got like this, this old, this bassier sound. Yeah, I want to bring him in. So, you know, don't poo poo things that people say don't work. You know, you never know those mailings. You, you just never know. So right place, right time, luck. Uh, for the first year, I didn't book anything. I was going out on a lot of auditions. And back then, I mean, I don't know how it is now with agents, but when they bring in a, a young talent, they didn't expect them to book a lot. They knew that they had to kind of mold them and, yeah. you know, teach them how to, you know, audition and stuff. And then after a year, I had, I had with ICM, I maybe booked one or two jobs. Uh, and then they, the, the LA office decided to do away with the voiceover department. And I was without an agent and no. David Coakley had set me up with an interview at a company called Atlas and Phil Sutphin, who was the head of ICM. Now he runs a company called ACM. Uh, he set me up with an, an interview at Abrams. A guy named Billy Ciro was one of the heads of the, of the voiceover departments at, at Abrams. And uh, I met with Atlas and they were great. But after I met Billy at Abrams, I just knew I was going to go with Abrams because I just loved Billy. It was you know, I mean, I almost felt like, and, and this is like what an interview is like, right? It's not really an interview. It's, they're just seeing what you're like. You're seeing if your personality is matched. And we just had so much fun. I mean, it, it was almost like an older brother. And the other reason I went with them is because they had an LA office and I knew I'd be going to LA within a couple of years. And then I, um, I went to LA, they wrote a really nice glowing recommendation. So I'd be with the LA office. Uh, I didn't actually stay with the LA office. I, I left them after a year there was an agent who ran the LA office at the time that him and I just didn't, you know, get along. And I, I, I was with the William Morris agency for a bunch of years. They're and massive. Then <laughs> they are, they are, you know, I mean, just because you're with a big agency does not mean you're going to work. I've had plenty of, of, of years where, you know, I was auditioning for a lot and not booking much. Um, although I really did like William Morris. I liked the waiting room there. And earlier this year, they disbanded, uh, and so I, I, uh, I interviewed at, uh, at Abrams again, you know, I went back, the person who, uh, I didn't really get along with many years ago, wasn't there anymore. It was, it was a whole new team. That guy, Billy was still running things in New York. So he gave a nice recommendation to me and now I'm, and now I'm back with them. <laughs> That's awesome. How did you get a representation for just acting? Again, it was a lot of blind submissions. I was with a lot of shitty agents for, you know, back in New York. They, I don't know if they still, it's like freelancing with agents yeah. still a thing. Yeah, it's, so I, was I think freelancing. they're starting to crack down on it more. I'm seeing less ah. and less people being okay with freelancing because I think it's like 
with freelancing, what are they going to do? Submit you less than someone who's actually signed? I think they just want to commit now. Got it. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't, I never understood why it doesn't make any sense. some would freelance and some wouldn't, but I mean, yeah. I wasn't with any <laughs> good agents in New York theatrically. Uh, it was always these shitty agents that would freelance and I usually didn't get many auditions and, you know, maybe once in a while, I'd get a call from like someone saying like, Hey, just, you know, you know, we submitted you to law and order. And it's like, Oh, great. And you know, I didn't like get called <laughs> in or anything. Yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, and all of the soap opera stuff that I got, that's just, that's stuff I got on my own. I never wrote a single commission check for a single theatrical agent in New York. This was all stuff I got for myself from submissions. And I think there was maybe one casting director I may have met at a workshop then too. You know, honestly, referrals are like gold. If you have a friend who who was with someone and, and they believe in your talent, then that's what, you know, I, I eventually got with a manager who, you know, was a, was a good enough manager that we were able to start getting some, some traction and then move to a, a different manager. And, um, and then once you get a lot of credits, uh, you know, when it's, if it's time to move on again, for whatever reason, it's easier. If you don't have a strong resume, referrals are going to be like gold. You know, I, I tell people, you know, instead of meeting agents and stuff at these workshops, which I'm not saying is bad, but I think a better use of your time get in a really good acting class with working actors and do amazing work every single week and then find out who is representing them and then hit them up one day and say, Hey, I've been doing research. I'm looking to, you know, get a new agent or get a agent. If you don't have one, I see you're with them. Can I, can I buy you lunch next week? And maybe just like, you know, pick, pick your brain, you know, it's, it's a nice excuse for us to hang out. And most of the time they'll say yes. And, you know, while you're out to lunch with them, you're just, you know, picking their brain. What's it like, you know, with them? How's it been? Blah, 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 blah. And at the end of lunch, you say, well, listen, I mean, only if you're comfortable, if you, it, I, it would mean so much to me if you can put in a good word for me. If you're not comfortable with that, if I emailed them, uh, is there any way I could use your name? And almost all the time they will say yes to one of those things. Almost all, like if they, if they like you enough that they agreed to have lunch with you. <laughs> and here's the thing. If they don't think you're a good actor, then, you know, maybe they'll say yes and they won't. But if they, if they believe in your talent and they like you as a person, yeah, why, why wouldn't they? And I, you know, I try to do the same for people too. It's just, it's harder now. It's hard, it's, it's, it's hard right now. There've been a couple of people that asked if I can give them referrals to my manager and uh, there's just not a lot there's not enough work going on right now and there's just it's hard to bring new new clients on totally i just got my manager from a referral yeah from my and acting teacher yeah great. see great so yeah. again it goes back to class like actors really need to be in class not just to get to become a better actor but to network with working actors that'll that'll raise your game i think that that's one of the most effective ways to find representation these days such an interesting uh way of looking at it i've never thought of it that way but that's absolutely referrals are gold yeah yeah most people don't you know again it it took me years to figure the business out and i i'm still learning things all the time you know it's it's a marathon not a sprint and you just gotta try not to um Try not to think about all the the wrong things that you did. Yeah. <laughs> just try to cringe about um, them at night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just you know, move on and and see how you can better yourself. I love it. What would you have told yourself when you were starting out? What I would have told myself, and it's what I would tell anyone right now who's starting out, 
if you're in high school, I would advise you to get involved into theater. Mm. And then if you really like it and you want to be an actor, don't quit college like I did. I, I think that was a mistake and it's something that I, I really, to this day, I regret. I would work to get into the best theater school that you can and work really, really, really hard there. Because honestly, a lot of agents and managers, they, they, they pick people from these really good theater schools and you have a better chance of working coming out of those programs than if you don't. And I think one of the reasons that I have mostly been like a co-star actor is because I never went to, I figured it out on my own way, but I think I would have had more opportunities for leading roles, for feature films, for series regulars, if I had went to one of those schools, got scouted by an agent early on, a, a good agent, not an agent that, you know, is just, um, you know, freelancing and, you know, sending in all these small bits, like an, an agent that has the power to get you series regulars and network uh, uh, roles and stuff. And, and that's why when people tell me like, oh, you know, I don't have any TV credits. I'm like, you know, that can really be to your advantage because you can have so many co-star credits that you won't even get considered for some of the bigger roles. Stay yeah. in school, <laughs> get, a, get a proper education. You're not going to graduate theater school and all of a sudden start working. But I think you'll have you'll have the tools because anyone can say that they're an actor. All you have to do is get a headshot and a resume. And, oh, I'm an actor. But if they see that you went to a four-year school, they're like, okay, he's not just saying he's an actor. He actually went and studied his craft. I didn't learn Shakespeare until four years ago. And I regret it because learning Shakespeare four years ago made me a much better actor now. And I regret that I didn't you know, learn it much earlier on. I think uh, if I knew those techniques, then I probably would have booked even more roles. It's tough. You know, you, you definitely have a lot on your side when you're younger. <laughs> Thank you so much, Matt. It was so great talking to you again. It was great talking to you. I hope I didn't ramble on and on no, like a moron. No, you're so, you were so good. No, I, I actually, <laughs> I actually learned a ton from talking to you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to follow the podcast on Instagram at Sage May Speaks and be sure to give a rate on whatever platform you're listening on. Next week, I'll be with Rebecca Klingler.